Hey guys, it's Nestor Serrano, and I am uh, wanted to alert you that Zach and Dustin are having me on their show. Please stay tuned. Before there was IMDB.com, there was Zach and Dustin. You know those guys who think they know everything about a movie without having to go on the internet to look it up? That's us, but maybe only for the years 1981 through mid-1989. No, I'd say late 1978 through early 1992. (laughs) Either way, we'd know movies. And even more specifically, we know soundtracks from those movies. Yeah, this is $2 Late Fee with Zach and Dustin. This is the podcast where we pick a movie and soundtrack from our youth that we loved and see if it still holds up today. All in the spirit of positivity and togetherness. Thanks for listening. On to the show. So, Dustin, today on the show, we've got Nestor Serrano, actor of well over 100 projects, television movies from The Money Pit to Bad Boys to Law & Order SVU. The guy is a very talented dude who, in the few opening minutes of the show, like, basically is surprised that he that we hold him in the same echelon as somebody like say a Barry Bostwick. Nestor is one of those guys who if you don't know his name you absolutely know his face. That's kind of the the what I love about our show is like when we say, "Oh, you know, we had this person guesting and they're like, "Oh, who's that?" and then you show them a picture and they're like, "Oh, yeah, of course. Love that guy." Yeah, and Nestor for us, um hanging with the homeboys was a pivotal movie. For you as we discussed in our previous episode and if you want the full breakdown uh press pause go listen to that first where we talk about our love for that 1991 sundance award-winning film and how much it holds up today because it does it holds up amazing and nestor being the uh really the guy that that he's really the fuel of that movie he is and i think He's also a reminder of you never know what kind of project has an impact on an audience. And case in point with Nestor, he did a TV show in the 90s called The Hat Squad. And we bring that up and it it turns into a really interesting uh, discussion and fascinating discussion. And what I love about that is you might do something that you think has no relevance or or maybe no one's going to remember, but people do. And obviously we did enough to have him on the show to talk about the hat squad you turned me on to the hat squad and there just will never be another show like it it was so unique really felt like a a comic book that i love from the 80s and nestor's character again very pivotal we talk a lot about it we sure do uh you know what we should talk about before we talk more about nestor and get on with the interview some of our patrons we have some new patrons to shout out this month don't we we do we have some very very well first of all thank you to all of our existing patrons we really appreciate all your support we offer a lot of exclusive content um and we're always trying to revamp it based on the fan experience so it really is we like to pride ourselves on being interactive but we have two dollars six questions which is our exclusive uh celebrity quiz show with our current celebrity guests and then you go there get to have extra fun it's always good it's it's always sometimes it's better than the episode dare i say 
Agreed. And actually, Nestor Serrano's $2.06 question segment this month is very entertaining. Uh, he tells a, a very fun story about Law & Order SVU. Yes, he does. And that is a, <laughs> a huge, huge favorite of mine. Um, but yes, but so we have some, some new patrons. I'd like to give a special thanks to Michael McAteve. And I apologize. It's your capitalization that is throwing me off in your last name. Uh, Michael, thank you so much. James Turner... James the Dragon Turner and our longtime friend of Podcasting After Dark and you, uh, Zach, uh, David Irons from Across the Pond. Well, both James and David are across the pond. Michael, are you across the pond too? You'll have to let us know. Michael's in Brooklyn. So. Oh, well, he's across the nation. (laughs) If you're not a patron, please consider becoming one because it's not just the fun entertainment that you get, but you're also helping provide uh, for us on the show. You know, we we have our overhead that we have to take care of, and uh, this is like a nice way to help be a part of the show and help us out. You help keep the lights on, literally. Um, you do. We record in the dark if, uh, if we don't have patrons. Can we just get one more patron so we can get the lights turned back on, Yeah, please? and it starts at $2, guys. I mean, look, $2 uh, less than a, than a latte less than a cupcake less than zero less than jake so really (laughs) you know you really can't afford not to do it i was gonna say it's not a money pit to invest in our patreon uh unlike nestor serrano's movie the money pit that he talked about just very briefly and it's it's worthwhile great content we think you'll enjoy it so please consider becoming one and if you already are like like we said thank you yep Huge thanks. And with the business out of the way, we can move on to the fun stuff. And what? Here's Nestor Serrano. Let's do it. Nestor Serrano, thank you so much for being on $2 Late Fee. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. And I understand I'm getting a family discount on that. $2 $2 late fee. You are, you have a punch card, uh, you know, and so <laughs> 24% off. Yep. Four more rentals and you're, you get a free one. So free Twizzlers from Zach. <laughs> Red vines, Red vines, Red vines, Red vines. Yeah. yeah. Uh, fun okay. fact that at the video store I used to work at, obviously this is pre COVID. This is going back to 25 <laughs> years ago. Yeah. Uh, yeah. At least it was, at almost, least 1918. <laughs> it was almost 1918. The Spanish flu of 1918 <laughs> Spanish when flu. I was at the video store. I just remember giving out, uh, you could buy single red vines out of this bin, right? And the people would just put their hand in the red vine bin, pull their red vines out. It was disgusting, it, you know, to think about all the yeah. germ swapping going on. Yeah. So, but, you know, we were young, we were stupid. We, I think we still are. Uh, Dustin, what do you got there? A smoothie? This is a smoothie. Yes, this is a smoothie. It's a Deepak Chopra, uh, cherry, all sorts of good stuff in it. Sounds uh, semi-delicious. Yeah, no, it, it is semi-delicious. Semi no, it's really good. And I, I'm, I'm blanking on everything that we have in here. I'm going to get kind of like semi-obnoxious. But as soon as you said the word Deepak or the, the name Deepak, Chopra, the first thing I thought was Indian food. Yeah, fair enough. So um, <laughs> that's not a bizarre association, no, right? Not, not at all. all. No. Not at all. The I can eat almost anything. You put ketchup on a gravel, 
on a pile of I, I can eat. Mm. There's something about right, doesn't that sound yum? Good? Oh, great! But there's something about Indian food. It's the cumin. It's the what's the other thing they put in? Uh, curry, curry, curry. Yes, I can't do it. Yeah, yeah. I went to London. I was doing a play at the West End for about three months, just around the time we were getting married, twenty years ago, and uh, my first time in London, and. Uh, I couldn't find a decent meal. I literally could not find a decent meal. Yeah, yeah. So I went over, you know, something clicked in my head. I go, just ask a local guy. So I went over to a bellhop or a doorman at a hotel. And I said, hey, where do I get a good burger out here? And he goes, oh, you know, go here, make a left, go right. And it's the, you know, and I went there. And again, I have an appetite. I can eat just about anything this was a hamburger i couldn't yeah. finish it yeah anyway but the only good place to eat apparently uh by most people who live in london is indian restaurants their yes. indian restaurants are supposed to be awesome yep except i don't like you don't like you right food. so that you're thwarted immediately you know what we were doing we were going to a pizza hut that had all the, all the salad you can eat Oh yeah, and I would literally sit there and eat salad and dried up pizza. Because oh, was- oh no, that's terrible. Let me let me uh, drop a name. So that was a play that we were doing in uh, in London in two thousand two, and uh, it was directed by Philip Seymour Hoffman. Oh, nice. Uh-huh. Uh, with a, an a extraordinary cast. Anyway, it was the best production I have ever done in my entire life. And I did lots of, I'd done Broadway with Robert De Niro and, and oh, uh, Patrick wow. Stewart and all this other stuff. I, I've done a lot of theater. Yeah. This was a game changer. That's high praise for sure. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, you might be able to catch it if you because we did a BBC version of it for the BBC radio. What's it called? Uh, Jesus Hop the A Train. Awesome, awesome play. We'll have to find that. I'm sure. I'm sure we will actually. We we absolutely will. How long was the run? Three months. Three months. Okay. Wow. And it was set for three months. It wasn't like it. You know, people stopped showing up. We were sold out. It was. It was an awesome, awesome experience. And it was also at that same time, coincidentally, when it was like the American invasion of theater hmm. in London. Gwyneth Paltrow was doing a play. Madonna was doing a play. I mean, everybody. Ben Affleck was out there. Uh, what's Ben Affleck's? Uh... Matt Damon. Matt Damon. <laughs> <laughs> what's Ben Affleck's yeah. Matt Damon? Yeah, yeah. You thought I was going to say Phoenix tattoo, but that's right. <laughs> but it was an extraordinary time to be in London because we would go out to like the Soho house and uh, the, the, the other places I think called the Marx house. Anyway, we would go out to all these clubs. Pizza yeah. Hut, salad. Pizza Hut, all the salad you can eat, baby. Soup plantation. Anyway, it was a great time. It was a great time to be there and I was so excited I did it. Well, it's interesting you bring that up because I do remember when, at least seeing it in the media, uh, the explosion of of theater in in overseas, you know, from uh, yeah. and how big it was, and that's like where you really got your chops down. And if you really wanted to see quality 
uh, plays or quality writing or acting, et cetera, et cetera. It's like, that's where you needed to go. Yeah, it was kind of like almost the reverse version of the British invasion in, yeah. in the U.S., right? right? Where all of a sudden they picked up on something we were doing and they just did it more better, as we said. <laughs> and, uh, and we took our theater to, uh, man, that, that show, Jesus on the A-Train, was so dynamic, so you couldn't get your eyes off the screen. So I got married while we were doing that show. Oh, right? okay. In London? In London. But we, I, I came by to what we now refer to as a drive-by wedding. I flew to Baltimore, <laughs> had the rehearsal dinner, got married the next day. And on the third day, I was back in London. Wow. And I watched the, the playwright. The playwright played my, my character. Oh, my God. And he was so petrified because he knew I was going to be there. Mm. <laughs> uh, I don't know why, he, but he was, and and uh, and it, it showed. But watching the show, right, being there in the audience, watching this production was so so engaging. And I know the show, right? So I've been doing it for like a month and a half or whatever before I took off to get married. So I know the show, I know what's gonna happen, but to watch it, man, it was breathtaking. I bet. That's really cool. I bet I, that, 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 that's a ringing endorsement for the play itself then, if one of the performers is out in the audience watching and going, okay, yeah, that <laughs> is amazing. Wow, well, I, I will say too, your body of work, we were talking off air about Barry Bostwick and you were saying, well, I got compared to Barry Bostwick back in the day we would hold you in that same echelon. No joke. Wow. Well, I find myself pleased to be there, but uh, I'm not sure I deserve that. But, but I appreciate what you're saying. You do, and I, we appreciate the uh, humbleness that you have. Barry Bostwick was on your show right now. You'd be like, man, you blue nesters fucking doors. <laughs> no, Barry would be- handle to you. Barry would be offering to uh, make you some pottery because he's a big potter. Yeah. Um, and he appreciated the fact that we talked more about pottery than we did uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show. Yes. So there you go. We were saying offline as well, we were hoping you would uh, introduce us by calling us Chooch. <laughs> Chooch. And Chooch. you know, I'm trying to remember where, where, where did that come from? Was the that Hat Squad. Hat Squad. The Hat Squad. Oh my God. You remember, guys? <laughs> I know there were two people out there who saw that. You're them? I, I not only have I seen every episode, Is, I have every episode on VHS cassette tape. Oh my god. Zach wanted to be in the hat squad. You need help. I do need help. <laughs> tell tell my, my wife knows that. <laughs> so I'll I'll tell you a quick story about that one. So uh I was doing I did an episode of a TV show that um I got a, I've got his book here so I can remember his name somewhere. Sonny Spoon? Stephen Cannell. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. So Stephen Cannell was the king of like really cheesy TV shows in the 80s and 90s. Sure, yeah. And, Rockford Files. And right. Everything else. So I did a movie, Hanging with the Homeboys. Yep. And Stephen Cannell's writing crew went down to, um, to Salt Lake City to watch, you know, the Park City 
thing. Oh, Sundance. Sundance, yeah. Sundance. <laughs> the Park City thing. I love it. <laughs> and uh, and they came back, and I got a call from him, from Stephen Cannell. So I had done a couple of episodes of his crappy TV shows. Wise Guy. and Yeah, I did an episode of Wise Guy, and yeah. I got a, a lot of feedback. So uh, let's go to Wise Guy, right? So I'm doing Please. Wise Guy. I get love hired wise on Wise Guy. And I was uh, hired as I appeared all the time. Everybody expected me to appear this way. But I, I grew this tiny little pencil mustache. Mm-hmm. And it was so sleazy. And I don't know if you ever saw the episode, but oh, yeah. my name was Kiki Nano. <laughs> and so he was this like really cheesy Italian mobster kind of guy. And so I came in and started shooting the episode with a director who did not see me audition. Okay. okay? So now I've got this really thin, cheesy pencil mustache and we're shooting for like three days. And I've got this character and he talks like this and he's got this whole little singing songy thing. And it was like, "Ah." (laughs) and so the director didn't like that. And I said, well, you're stuck with it because I'm not changing it. So a couple of days later, they get get the rushes, right? Which is the dailies from the previous couple of days. And everybody in LA is like, what the fuck is up with that mustache? What the, nobody. (laughs) And the director is like, how could you do that? You know, that's like completely irresponsible that all of a sudden you should pull this and everybody's all upset. Oh no. I said, all right, well, anyway, I finished it. Cut back to two months later, three months later, I get a call from, uh, from Stephen Cannell's office. They wanted me to audition for, they wanted to hire me for Hunter. Yes. And so at that point I had shaved my mustache. So I walk in. Oh no. And the first thing the director said to me was, where's your mustache? Oh, no. <laughs> so the one thing that they were all so super fucking pissed about yeah. is the only thing they wanted back. Oh God. In this other one. Anyway, so of course. So cut back to um hanging with the homeboys, the writers of Stephen Cannell's show, they come back and they go, um, so he says, Stephen Cannell says to me, hey, listen, uh, I want to fly you out to L.A. I was in New York. I want to fly you out to L.A. because I want to talk to you about stuff. I said, OK, go out to L.A., sit in his office. And he says to me, all right, I've got a couple of ideas that I think you would be terrific for. Mm. And I go, OK. So he gave me three ideas. And one of them was the hat squad. You boys shouldn't fight. You got to be different like these four cops. They were known as the hat squad. And they wore hats and dusters as a symbol of that difference. And no criminal would mess with them. As orphans, you boys know what it is to be victims. And they protected people like you. So maybe someday you could be like them. And so I said, okay, well, I think... I, 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 I think that one kind of speaks to me more than the other two. So we get to the, uh, the audition process. Now I have to go to CBS and 
and I'm auditioning in front of a bunch of, you know, all the CVS execs and they bring me back into my little green room. And uh, then Lucy Cavallo, who was the casting director goes, Come, Nestor, they want to see you one more time. And I get there and everybody, literally everybody stood up and gave me a standing ovation in a way of saying, we've, we've accepted you and you're the guy. Wow. And not only that, but we're standing on our feet. Uh-huh. <laughs> wow. you know, I'm sitting there going, you guys are fucking nuts, but all right, yeah. I'll take the job. Yeah. Yeah. Raphael. It was a lot of fun. It really seems like you had a lot of fun on that show. And uh, Dustin and I were talking the other night about it. Like you got top billing on that show. Um, the, the concept to me as a younger person watching that show, it fulfilled kind of the, the fanboy fantasy that I had as a little kid. I wasn't a little kid. I was a teenager at the time. But the idea of like these three brothers, adopted, adopted brothers coming together to fight crime. Um, you know, from these various backgrounds and very colorful. It was like a superhero comic book come to life for me, you know, and I just love the, the concept. Um, I watched it every night. Dustin joked. He's like, you're probably what everyone was watching Seinfeld and you're watching the hat squad. And I'm like, well, yeah, probably. <laughs> well, Zach, Zach said to me, he's like, I just don't understand why more people in the world didn't watch the hat squad. I'm like, because they were, yeah, because everyone was watching Seinfeld, but you know, the, the hat squad is um, I, I, it was my first time watching it recently and it is one of those, it is very comic book. Like it really is. Yeah. And it's, and it's also, we should say too, it's not that they're just fighting crime as vigilantes. They're, they're legitimate no, they're LAPD. They're cops. Yeah. Your character is like Raphael. refusing to carry a gun because of, because of the violence that was inflicted upon his family. That's how his parents died. Right. So it's, it's so, and you're, you're this guy who just carries around like a playing card and a hat and you're basically using whatever you have Badass. at your disposal to like, to, uh, you know, to, uh, to, to fight and win. And it's amazing. Save the day. Yeah. Save the day. Yeah. I, 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 I really love the idea of it. I just wish it would have been better executed. Yeah. You know, in my, yeah. my opinion, uh, I, I also mm. did another TV show, which is where I met my wife called true blue. Mm. Also extremely cheesy had so much potential. You know, I, I got to know the executive producer who was my wife's boss at the time, Sonny Grosso. And he was an ex-cop. In fact, if you ever watch The French Connection, the character of not Gene Hackman, the other guy. Um, uh, Roy Scheider's character? Roy Scheider. Yeah. He was Sonny Grosso, the really? real Sonny Grosso. Oh, nice. Oh, cool. He was involved in all that you know, criminal stuff. He, he, he's a shady character. But anyway, <laughs> um, he's dead, so I'm, I'm okay. Yeah, it's all good. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't know where you are anyway. Yeah, I can talk shit about him now. But uh, it was a show that could have really been something else. You know, at that time, that was before NYPD Blue, True Blue, the yep. one that I did. And it was about cops, and he was a cop. Right? Yep. Sonny Grasso, the executive producer, was a cop. And he had, after the whole uh, French connection thing, he, he became 
a producer and did some shows in Canada that were really like super horrible. <laughs> and then he decided he was going to try his hand at doing a TV series, a drama. And so they started coming up with these scripts and I would look at the scripts and I finally, I said, can I come and talk to you guys? So I'm a novice, you know, I'm feeling a little, I'm now in a writer's room with a bunch of executive producers and writers. And I was terribly intimidated. Yeah, totally. But I felt like I needed to say that the show is going, in my opinion, in the wrong direction. Mm -hmm. It was going towards this cheese and it was yeah. all. So anybody who might be familiar with the show, for example, they had a really good looking actor who fell in love with the really good looking actress. And then they had a black guy. And then they had, you know, I played an Italian, but they had a Hispanic. Eddie Velez was the Hispanic. And then, you know, they had all kinds of mixes. But every, all of the connections that were being made artistically yeah. were all so kind of like so done. And I was like, why don't you have, this was, so I walk into the room and they all go, okay, so what do you want to talk to us about? And I said, well, why don't you have me, now this is going back to the late 80s, early 90s. Yeah. And I said, why don't you have me, for example, frisk a bad guy, get um, pricked by a needle that he had in his arm, in his, in his pocket, and then I get HIV. And then... The other cops Whoa. don't want to talk, talk to me. They leave ugly things in my locker room and this Whoa. other yeah. stuff. Why not have the white, beautiful woman fall in love with the black guy? Yep. And then you can have conflict there. And he was like, no, no, none of that yeah. shit. Work. <laughs> oh, and then man. NYPD Blue came out and that's what they were doing. Right. Were any of the writers for True Blue on NYPD Blue? Yeah. <laughs> They're sitting in that room going, that's yeah. a great idea. Right. I don't think they've ever been seen again. Wow. Wow. Yeah. But, you know, I'm, not, I'm not trying to say that I was some kind of like artistic genius and saw something. But, but the writing was on the wall. Yeah. The writing was on the wall. It's you just something different. Yeah. And provocative. Yeah. Right. Yeah. What, what year? This is like early 90s. Yeah. It had to be either the 89. very late 80s, like 89 to 91, somewhere yeah. in there. Yeah, you played uh, Officer Gino. Tuffinelli? Was that my last name? Tuffinelli, yeah. Wow. <laughs> Tuffinelli. Did a little bit of research just to kind of close the chapter on Hat Squad a little bit. Uh, I think kids really liked it, but it wasn't a kid's show because it had a level of violence and a level of uh, intensity that Miami Vice had you know, a few years earlier. And so maybe that's what kind of suffered a little bit, but, but I, I think what, what Dustin was saying, just you talk about uniqueness of a character, the fact that your character didn't want to carry a gun. That was really cool. It was a cool concept uh, that I don't think was seen at that time. And I'm just saying, you know, if they ever wanted to reboot hat squad <clears throat> and you could play the dad because <laughs> there were more flying tackles in, in the hat squad pilot than any other, just like, just guys running at guys with guns and like taking them down. Extreme sports. Yep. You know. <laughs> yeah, but you know, that's that's a concept that can that can fly today. Totally. You know? Yes, absolutely. 
I mean, who doesn't want to have somebody who could take down bad guys without using a gun? If you can do it, yep. you know, I mean, you've got Thor out there with a hammer. and there's other, But uh, who, who has a playing card, right? Yes. I, I spent way too much time thinking about, is this, is this a customized playing card? Or is this an actual, like, did you just pull this out of a, did you buy a deck and buy one? Or, you know, yeah. do you like... You customize all your all your jack yeah, hearts. I, I, I can't reveal that. Yeah. Okay. No, oh, because it's your secret Sorry. identity. It makes sense. Well, yeah. I don't want to. <laughs> you don't want to blow the secrets. <laughs> well, I just 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 know that there is a strong uh, fan base out there that really enjoyed the show, and your and you're talking to you. both of them. Uh, no. <laughs> so 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 let, me, so let me give you another quick little uh, story about the Hat Squad. Please. So we're doing the show right, and at the beginning. Don Michael Paul was petrified. He was like, oh my God, I haven't been in front of a, a TV camera in three years. And I'm, I'm so, I'm, I've been doing a lot of writing. I'm petrified. This is horrible. I, I don't know what I'm doing. Please have patience with me. Wow. And I, you know, I felt for the guy. Yeah. Anyway, it turned out he was like really, really, really good. And I think he wanted to kind of bear his insecurities, just kind of release them out there in the universe mm-hmm. and go, okay, I think I told everybody I'm going to panic, so now I don't have to panic. Yeah. And, which is a good strategy. By the way. I play that card all the time. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we, we got along so well. He was my best bud of the three of us. Nice. Billy Warlock... He had his own little baggage. We all have our own little baggage. Yeah. So me and Don got along really, really well. Really well. We bonded severely. And then, um, I don't know, he started to get his confidence up as we were shooting the episode after episode after episode. He started to become a little bit more, you know, I have to use the right word. He became cocky. And became he, an asshole. Mm. he became an asshole (laughs) so my thing if you remember the show i was a slow walking slow talking kind of like you know don't now don't fuck with me you don't want he was more brazen he was was. (laughs) yeah yeah he was like a football player practically right yeah right he was a bull in a china shop yeah and uh and, you know, that during that melding period where he started to become this and I stayed where I was, we started to kind of like um, go in different paths, mm. not just artistically, but um, we were butting heads on the set. And uh, so CBS came over to us on a, I'm making the day up, let's say on a Monday. Yeah, CBS, the execs came over to meet us in Vancouver and uh, they said, uh, we love the show. We just came up here to tell you, we really love the show. That was on a, say, Monday. Thursday, we were canceled. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, what the fuck happened? We we really love the show thing. Always works. It's amazing. So we still we still had to do we had to complete two episodes. Oh my so God. once oh. things go south, yeah. you know, people start to look to blame other people. Of course. Yeah. Yep. And Don yep. picked me. 
Oh, no. Oh, no. And it almost became like, I mean, I was in his trailer because I, I the executive producer came to me, not Stephen Cannell, his uh, second, came to me and said, Nestor, I have some really bad news for you. I just got word that you're the reason that the show is blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, and he was, if he wasn't crying, he was on the verge of tears because Oof. I loved him. Okay. And uh, so I knew, I said, well, it, it's done, right? It was him. And he goes, wow. I, I, I can't tell. So wow. the fact that he didn't deny it affirmed to me that it was done. I left, he walked away. I left my trailer. I went into, and Billy Warlock and Don were in the, uh, his trailer, in Don's trailer. And I went in there and I confronted it. Yeah, good. I said, you're a fucking dick, man. You're a fucking dick. You scum. And he goes, what did you call me? And he, you know, he got up and uh, oh, raising. Uh, and I said, sit down, motherfucker, before I kick your ass. <laughs> Pull anyway, out your cards. <laughs> anyway, that was the end of that. Wow. We finished the show. I didn't talk to him. He didn't talk to me. Cut to 10 years later. I get an offer to do a show in Bulgaria, a movie in Bulgaria. One day, and I'm telling you, a shit load of money. For one day, shooting in Bulgaria, and I was like, I have no idea what this is about, but (laughs) that shit load of money, I'm gonna go, and it was Sniper 5. Nice. So I go over there and, I get to the hotel and uh, the next morning it's time for a pickup and I go over there to get picked up and there's Don. Oh man. He was directing. Oh, he was directing it. I think we're going to say he was the driver. No. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a lot funnier. <laughs> nice. nice. He, he was the bellhop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm ready to take you to set, Mr. Serrano. But so he was directing this and he singled me out. You know, I mean, that wasn't an accident. It was an offer. I didn't audition for it. I didn't even know it existed. Mm -hmm. Clearly, he singled me out. And uh, that night, we went out to dinner with a few members of the cast. And and we we laughed about the shenanigans. That's nice. You know, and so it all turned out really, really good. He's, you know, he had, he was going through, I think he was going through a difficult time, you know, he went from being like super scared to being super confident and maybe somewhere, you know, he found middle somewhere. Well, that's interesting because that, first of all, I love that. I love that it turned the page um, and, and he came around. I've had moments in my life and I know Dustin probably has too, that you've had those falling outs with people and then they come, it's clearly their fault. They come around at the end and it's nice to know that there's a a little bit of uh, humility in that. And and like, you know what? I fucked up. I'm sorry. Um, You know, let's make amends. And that's a nice way to make amends by offering you a ton of cash and uh, (laughs) yeah. Yeah, All the amends everybody's got coming. (laughs) Yeah. Bring on the amends. (laughs) Sure beats a sorry card. (laughs) (laughs) 
no, but he he uh, he was such a such a great guy when we were working together, and 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 then when I met him after I discovered and we shot the scene and went to dinner that night, that he really hasn't changed. He's he's an incredibly charismatic, charming person mm-hmm. who's just going through something, and I'm glad he found himself. Yeah, that, that's yeah. awesome. That is cool. That is cool. That's I mean, awesome. that's the thing about that show, The Hat Squad. The the three dynamic differences between you guys, Billy, Don, and you, uh, but all three like hunky dudes and uh, charismatic and, and and had a had a kind of a um, a presence on screen that really showed. And uh, you know, it's it sucks the way it ended, but it's nice to know that you had a, enough of a run for it to still exist in the embers. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. No, I get that beautiful thing i would love to jump back do a little bit of an origin story for our audience in the sense that you because you you have you haven't stopped acting which no. is you know incredibly impressive like you started and i just wanted to get you you were you were born in the south bronx you know it, it, your first movie seems to have been the money pit and i just wanted to get a little bit of uh kind of background to you like were you a lot of guests that we have come on and they have this, you know, the late eighties, there was sort of an aversion to television for the most part, other than like murder, she wrote and, you know, the occasional show. And I was curious if you were like, you were, were you a theater guy? Were you a movie guy? Were you a TV, TV guy like when you started? Like, what was your, what was your intention? Okay. So when I was doing Cuba and his teddy bear on Broadway with Robert De Niro, Uh, It was a culmination of 35 off-off Broadway shows. I did one where I didn't realize I was, we were going to be performing at a wedding. Oh. Right. I mean, I'm, I'm going way back. I was like 20 years old, 21 years old. And uh, I answered an audition notice and I got cast and uh, we were going to be doing play. It was a, it was a small scene of a play. I can't remember the play, but we were told we were going to be performing at 161st Street, right around Yankee Stadium in the South Bronx. And I happened to, I, I think at the time I was living in Manhattan, but I was very familiar with. Anyway, it turned out to be it was a wedding, so we were the entertainment. Wow, for a wedding. It was the most humiliating experience I've ever had. That's brutal. But um, so all that to say, I've done theater much of the first 10 years of my career. That's all it was. It was theater, theater, theater. And um, it was my life. And I remember when I was doing Cuba and his teddy bear with Robert De Niro, Jimmy Smith, who, you guys know who he is? Yeah, I heard oh, of yeah. him. Okay. Um. <laughs> so Jimmy Smith. He's terrific. He played for the Cardinals, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Jimmy Smith's lady friend, who he still refers to her as, Wanda de Jesus, played my girlfriend in the play. So he came over at some point and said to me during, I don't know, might have been a dress rehearsal or, and he said to me, he goes, hey, Nestor, why don't you come out to Hollywood? You should come out to Hollywood because I'm telling you, you can 
you probably are going to score out in Hollywood. And I said, you know what, bud? No, mm. I'm not a Hollywood guy. Yeah, I'm not a sellout. I, just, <laughs> yeah. I like seasons and intellect. Yeah, I like Pizza Hut. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like like salad and. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I I was kind of arrogant, you know, and yeah. and dismissive of the whole idea of doing film and television when theater was you know where my heart was at that time. Mm. But after Cuban is Teddy Bear, there was so much um, uh, enthusiasm for me because I was in a Broadway show with Robert De Niro. And then slowly that starts to fade. And, you know, people don't even know the show anymore. Right. But so theater was my life and I loved it. And I, 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 I'm seriously considering maybe going back. And, you know, I'm now in Baltimore. Yeah. There's so much great theater out here, you know, mm -hmm. center stage, every man. It's just like one great regional theater after another. And uh, I'm thinking about maybe going back and doing some theater. Love it. Yeah. We approve. <laughs> well, there's something beautiful about that, that you, that, that's always been in your heart, right? Yeah. You know, you've heard people say this time and time again that there's nothing like the immediate reaction you get from an audience at the moment when you're doing your thing. Yeah. Whether it's the absolute, like you can hear a pin drop yep. to laughter and it's just so, you know, every now and then you'll do something on, on mm -hmm. set, whether it's film or TV, and you'll get that from the crew. But a lot of times, I would venture to say most of the time it's uh, they're just being courteous. They know where you're going. They know what you want to do. They know what you're, you know, uh, the punchline or the dramatic culmination of uh, the, the, the scene and they react accordingly. But I, I'm always suspicious as to whether they're, <laughs> you know, they're a paid audience. Yeah. Yeah, right. exactly. And they're focusing on their own, you know, they're pulling focus or they're doing, you know, they're doing other things. Yeah. Right. But also yeah. they feel compelled to applaud you yeah. because they have a vested interest. They want you to continue to be good. It's all for good reasons, of course. but they all, you know, they want you to continue to do well and they want you to feel encouraged and, they all have kids and they know, you know, when their 10 year old does something, you got to laugh and, you know, so. Oh, shit, do you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <Wow. clears throat> I'll tell you, I, I got a 10 year old. I know. Yeah. And uh, I really encourage her to be you know, silly and ridiculous and good, uh, fearless. And yeah. You know, she wants to be an actress. We'll talk about that some other time. <laughs> I have, I also have a 32 year old son who is a, whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh, yeah, who's that's quite a spread, right? Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> uh, he's a uh, Japanese language arts teacher in Columbia University. And oh, nice. So he's, very, so he's very not proud. smart at all. <laughs> oh, dude, that's awesome. Tov. But when he was 12 years old, so my son is half Japanese, mm -hmm. right? And uh, so 
he never wanted to watch anything that I've ever done. He never interested. And then, so at some point, uh, I think he was 12 years old and Jackie Chan was on top of the world. And even though Jackie Chan is Chinese and my son is Japanese, there was an, you know, there was something there. There was a connection. And he yeah. kind of, and he said to me, dad, what do you think about my being an actor? And I said, hey, man, when you graduate from medical school, you can do whatever you want. <laughs> <laughs> That's and, amazing. Uh, thank God he didn't, uh, he didn't pursue that. Well, <laughs> well, <laughs> hey, man, hats off to you for raising one heck of a son, sounds like, and uh, you're doing the same with your daughter. So I know uh, I've, got a, I've got a seven-year-old boy, and I put all my energy into him, you know, Dustin knows that because I talk about him all the time. <laughs> uh, but I used to teach kindergarten. Wait, you have a son? <laughs> what? No, no, no. When? Where? How? <laughs> How'd that happen? Um, I used to teach kindergarten. And, I, you know, when I was first a teacher, I was like, I don't want to teach five-year-olds. Like, I want to teach high school kids. I really want to get to the meat, you know, of, of, the, of, of like where they really get the information. But then I, when I started teaching that age, that five-year-old age and realizing, wait a minute, this is the this is the blueprint from this point on their career as a student. They're going to remember this. They may not remember every moment, but they'll, you want to, you want to have this be as memorable to them as possible. The impact that you can have on a five, six, seven year old is going to impact how they behave when they're in high school. Totally. Yeah. I agree. with you. Yeah. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. Um, I don't have kids, but I'm always looking for five-year-olds to mentor. Um, and instill uh, medical school values. Yeah, Dustin has a 10, fit, uh, 10 feet uh, limit he has to keep away from my son at all times. <laughs> yeah. Well, social distancing and- uh, Yeah, it's just being conscious. Um, you know, yeah, his son doesn't want to be a doctor. And I'm like, well, you should want to, you know, and his son's so rude. He's his, the, his, the yeah. rude. <laughs> yeah, and then Dustin says, don't be a failure like your father. Yeah. <clears throat> no. Uh, I said, Dustin, are you at least married? I Am I married? Yes. Okay. I, I, <laughs> you're like, okay, all right. You have good. <laughs> good. Because <laughs> no. no I was going to end this interview right now. No, no judgments. If it were up to me, no, I'm not going to say it. <laughs> I, I want to bring it back to your acting career because you No, this so, is better. Let's <laughs> this is so much better. You were you were so so you had this chip on your shoulder when you're in theater, right? And then you made this shift. What was that thing? What was that thing that finally you're like, okay, I'll give it a try? Well, I think it was uh um the success of hang uh, of uh, uh Cuba and his teddy bear with Robert De Niro on Broadway that really kind of like made it look like, oh my God, I have so many opportunities. Okay. All I need to do is just say yes. Yeah. So I went from there to, um, while we were still doing the show, I gig um, the American Repertory Theater at Harvard. Hmm. And I took a job to do one show and then it turned into three shows and uh i got to meet my good friend dean norris from uh you know dean norris oh yeah of course i uh, breaking bad breaking yeah. bad yes oh absolutely dean, dean norris 
Dean Norris has that look. He has a particular look with the with the buzz cut or the you know now the the, the Patrick Stewart look. I would I guess you could say uh, hard as nails kind of dude. He looks tough and intimidating. Yeah. Love that guy. Right, he's great. Yeah, yeah. And we're best friends, and I was in his wedding party. He was in mine. Right on. Uh, but I met him at Harvard. He was a student that had to be in certain productions, and he had he had, he was obliged to be in the show that I was doing. Mm. But then that turned into another show, then another show, and then I said, you know what? I I, I don't want to keep doing. I don't want to be doing regional theater. To yeah. go from Broadway to doing regional theater seemed like a, even though it was at the time, the number one, uh, I don't know where it stands today, but the American Repertory Theater was the number one regional theater in the country. Wow. And so I was proud to be a part of that, but I felt like, what am I going to keep doing this? So yeah. I, I felt like I needed to do something else and offers started coming in for, film and TV that wasn't in New York because I was doing some TV in New York, but I thought, you know what? It, so anyway, I ended up doing the money pit and that was my first feature. What the? I want to ask you something. You're a lawyer, right? Yeah. Last year, my father was hit in the head by a golf ball. Now it seemed okay. But last week we were watching TV and I put on the Bob Hope Desert Classic from Palm Springs. He goes freaking nuts. My father, not Bob Hope. So he kicks in the freaking TV screen. Well, I'd have to study it, but I'd say you got a great case against Bob Hope. Thanks, man. What a great way to start. Totally. Yeah. Working with, with Tom Hanks, who we were also really close for a while until he got... You know, he moved. He got the, the Don Michael uh, treatment. The uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, until he took a dump on you and got the show canceled. <laughs> I got DM'd. Got DM'd. <laughs> oh man, I want to jump forward a little bit to hanging with the homeboys. Willie, you can be honest with me. You, you, you're doing this to me because I'm black, right? I'm doing this because I think you're a bum. I'm looking for Vinny. Vinny? Fernando. Oh, you must be talking about Fernando. You mean Vinny, man. Vinny. Please, especially in front of a woman, you got to call me Vinny. Johnny. Oh, man. I was, I was wondering, you know. Sorry. Tommy. Tommy, I really like Frederick. You, you call me a bum because I'm black, right? See, if I was a white guy, I'd be eccentric. You were a white guy, you'd be a white bum. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Man. It's Friday night. Manhattan is where it's at. That's why I don't even be hanging in the Bronx. Who's the first stop, y'all? The girlies are, bro. Oh, oh. <laughs> yo, baby, yo, 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 yo. <laughs> What's your name? My name is Vinny. He's Italian. Hey, you hear that? There's a party going on up there. Come on, let's go. I'll just knock on the door and say Jose Center. Party night. Jose Center. <laughs> you keep messing with them girls like that, man, and one day you're going to come down with something strange. Crazy night. Okay, fellas. <laughs> let's see some ID. Yo, Vinny, man, cut it out, man. Says Fernando Cuevas. So, your friend over here just called you Vinny. <laughs> some women got money, some women don't got money. Don't get stuck with a bad investment. It's the only night for hanging with the homeboys. I'm not black, I'm Dominican. Hanging with the homeboys. There's a lot of backstory, obviously, behind the scenes. But you as Vinny? Fernando, come on. Fernando. I'm, I'm come on, man. I'm Vinny, Only man. Vinny. 
Like, <laughs> hey, I cut that. I, I quoted the hell out of your character. No, 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 nine. You know, on a regular basis. Knock that shit right out. <laughs> hey, that character is so memorable. That movie is so memorable. Uh, can you reflect on that a little bit with us? Yeah. So um, I got an audition for that role. And uh, when I auditioned, there were maybe two or three other guys in the room and they would go in and do the thing. I went in with the executive producer and the casting director and another producer and the director who wrote it. So I was the last guy. So I audition, I do my thing. And then the executive producer, for some reason, I think because it was a really small little movie, the executive producer asked the director is or, or the casting director is there somebody else to see and the casting director says no just the director mm. he's the last person auditioning for the role and i was like what the fuck <laughs> yeah. <laughs> by yeah so uh <laughs> i never heard from anybody my girlfriend at the time and i we went off to spain on a vacation and I came back and this is before cell phones or anything like that so I came back and I play my machine to listen to my uh and one of them was that I had gotten the role and I was just oh, wow. so fucking crazy so what happened was the 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 director wrote the part for himself yeah that was the idea from the from the get-go and then uh the executive producer thought it was too much because it was his first time directing mm -hmm. and playing the lead role. It's just yeah. a little too much. Yeah. Yeah. So they gave it to me. And uh, so we go in for like a two week rehearsal or something. <laughs> maybe it was a week rehearsal. So me, Mario Joyner, Legazamo, and a guy called Chris Rock. You might have heard of him. Oh, yeah. So we're doing the, we're doing the rehearsal, you know, and we're going through it. And at one point I said, uh, I gotta go to the bathroom. So I go to the bathroom. Immediately following me in the bathroom is the director. And he says to me, man, this fucking guy, Chris Rock, he sucks. I mean, every line he says sounds like every line he just said. Everything is like one note. Mm. What do you yeah. think, Master? And I was like, I don't know. Yeah. Sounds fun to me, but whatever. Anyway, they fired him oh, and they hired Dougie Doug. Mm. So a quick jump and then we'll go back to, so about six months later, I'm on Broadway and like 44th street and I'm walking to an intersection and coming around the turn is Chris Rock. Oh no. And he says to me, I, I said, how you doing? He goes, man, not good. I go, why? Mm. He goes, I just got fired from Saturday Night Live. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. I wouldn't be gleefully telling this story yes. if we didn't know, you know. Yes, yes of course. Oh, my God. Of course, right. yeah. But what That's a amazing. tough, you know, six-month period for him because, uh, you know, he was just a stand-up that yeah. really knew. But anyway, so cut back to uh, wow. Hang With The Homeboys. 
so all three of these guys, Legazamo, Dougie Doug, Joyner, they're all comics. I'm not a comic. The first two weeks of the shooting of this movie, or maybe yeah, 10 days, two weeks, was conducted inside of a vehicle in the middle of July in the oh. South Bronx yeah. with lights all uh. attached to it. So you can't open the door and just go, you know, I, I need a break. I want to take a walk. I want to have whatever. You were stuck yeah. in that car yeah. with three fucking comics. It sounds like fun, <laughs> no. but it's not. It was just so... You know, everybody was just, you couldn't get a word out of people making fun of what you just said, and you couldn't get a serious conversation going. Everything uh, was fodder for comedy. And oh, sounds brutal. Yeah. Point, sounds brutal. <laughs> I looked at uh, somebody, I, don't, I forget what it was, it might have been John. And I said, listen, man, I'm not here to be, you know, the brunt of all of your fucking jokes. Yeah, I really. said, could you yeah. please just anyway? It 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 got ugly. Oh man. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> but 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 you you can imagine what it must be like, right? To be around people whose job it is, their their prime occupation is to find kernels from which they can turn into comedy. Yeah, yeah. And always being on. They're always on. Always, always. Yeah. And so, you know, at, at, at the beginning, it was a lot of laugh. Anyway, at the end of the day, it turned out to be great. And, I, and they were terrific. And, but those, however many days I was stuck in that car with those guys in the middle of July. Dude, that's terrible. Lamps. This is before yeah. LEDs. These were yeah. hot lamps. Yeah. Yep. Hideous. Anyway, but I loved the character. Such a great character. I grew up in the South Bronx and then I moved up to the North Bronx and uh, it was predominantly Irish neighborhood, mm -hmm. like literally 90% Irish. Then there was a 10% Italian. And for some reason I gravitated towards the Italian, my Italian friends. I had Irish friends. I had Italian friends, but there was something about the Italian camaraderie, the family, the whole like hugging, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of that in the Irish uh, community. Yeah. They just have a different cultural thing. But with the Italians, it spoke more to where I came from. And uh, so I wanted to secretly be Italian. Mm. And so when I got this part, it was like, oh my God, this is, this was my upbringing as a yeah. kid. <clears throat> Amazing. Hmm. Yeah, I can relate. I, uh, hey, I, I did, Wendy. For, for for decades, decades, I thought I was mostly Italian, and then I did a twenty three and Me, and it turns out I'm mostly British and German, and I'm like, what the hell? My life has been a lie. <laughs> <laughs> you thought you were Vinny when you were really, I don't know what. Brent, Lord Baltimore. Brent, yeah. <laughs> there you go. There you go. But I, I completely understood that character uh, inside out, and it was so much fun playing him. And uh, I was blessed. And that that scene with the "Hey, Wendy," yeah, 
So that scene was shot once. Wow. The entire scene was one take. We did one, we did a take prior to that where something screwed up the camera or something, or maybe me. The second take was one take and it was done in one shot, no cuts, no nothing. And it was so much fun to do that. Hello. Hey, Candy, how you doing? Yeah, I'm fine. No, I'm fine. When, tonight? No, I can't. I'm hanging out with the fellas. No. When? When did I promise that? Oh, come on, baby. You, you know, you can't count on anything I say when I'm doing that. <laughs> Hello? Hello. Hey, Wendy, how you doing? I'm okay. What? No, I can't. Not tonight. I'm hanging out with the fellas. No. I know, Wendy, but when did I promise that? It figures. Well, I'm sorry, Wendy, but I can't. I told But Wendy, but listen. But Wendy, but listen. But Wendy, but listen. All right, forget. All right, so I lied, okay? So forget. It's a beautiful scene. It's a great scene. I mean, you 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 steal the show in that movie. There's no doubt. Uh, it's a great. You know, it, it has so many elements of like movies that have come out before or after, but really nothing, in my opinion, quite like it. You know, this this urban, uh, you know, buddy story that devolves over the course of an evening, you know, and kind of like diner. In, yeah. In a way. Yeah. So Joe Vasquez, who unfortunately died, mm-hmm. uh, who was the writer, director, he was planning on doing Hanging with the Home Girls. And it was going to be the, is it four girls in the pool hall? Right. I think so. Yeah. Yeah, it's either four or three. But he was going to do the the film, the same exact. Oh film, wow! But from their perspective, and I thought that was such a great idea. But totally. Yeah, he didn't. He didn't live up to it. Literally. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, he had the lightning in a bottle, and it's too bad that it's unfortunate what happened to him. Obviously, but you know, your your performance has stood the test of time. And here we are talking about it 30 some odd years later. Honestly, honestly. And you know, I've gotten a a couple of, uh, uh, I've had people ask me what was the most impactful film performance that I've ever had. And I've done a lot of like, you know, good stuff. I've been in really good movies and I've done a lot of uh, things that I'm really proud of on film mostly and some TV, but hanging with the homeboys is the one that I really, I really admire the most because I thought I had a real impact in the movie. A lot of times, you know, you're in, I was in the movie, the inside. Yeah. Russell Crowe. Classic Michael Mann. Yep. Yeah. Well, man. Uh, 
if you were to ask me which is the movie that I think was the most important, I would say The Insider. Mm-hmm. It just, you know, it was an important movie at the time. Yeah. It's been kind of diluted a little bit, but it was an important film about Brown and Williamson and, you know, corruption and all kinds of like really important stuff based on a true story. But hanging with the homeboys. I just love hanging with the homeboys. And you know what? You know what's really um, kind of like impactful to me is that hanging with the homeboys is the one film that I find myself at at a hard time to decipher when somebody says, where do I know you from? Mm. Where do I know you from? And so a lot of times, right, especially if they know I'm an actor, they go, oh, you're an actor. Where do I know you from? So you can usually size somebody up by their age, their gender, uh, their race. You know, you can look and, but hanging with the homeboys, I was one time walking down the West Village on 8th Avenue or something. And there was some festival and there were cops all over the place, right? Guarding. And this heavy set, big pot bellied, seemingly Irish cop comes over to me and he goes, Hey, why know you from? Hey. I go, uh, uh, Law and Order, uh, CSI, NCIS. The- I went through all the cops. It's a fun game. And finally, he goes. <laughs> finally, goes. Hey, wait, hanging with the homeboys. Like, what the fuck are you <laughs> hanging with the homeboys? You're an old fat Irish cop. But love it. It's uh, it seems to have transcended race and gender and all that stuff, which is great. Yeah, and it came Amazing. out at a time, and you know, when hip hop was changing, uh, the the culture of hip hop and rap was looking different. Um, I know, I know for me, it was, it was huge that that early nineties period of hip hop was probably my favorite era for, for the music at that time. And the clothing, the style was, was very unique. And it was, it was going through this weird period. I mean, whether it's good or bad, depending on what kind of outfit you're wearing in that movie, you know, (laughs) it's pretty bad. I remember when they came up with the wardrobe for me and hanging with the homeboys. I was like, come on, I'm not wearing this fucking, what is this, a purple bathrobe? Well, at least you didn't have to wear that black and red checkered trench coat that Mario Joyner had to wear. Yeah, right. That was right. god awful. But um... <laughs> no, we all had a good chuckle when Joyner had to come out in that. I bet you did. That, that's when he became the fodder for uh, for the night. Yeah. He didn't he didn't get stuck in the car with that jacket on, did he? So. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> it is mind-blowing and heartbreaking. How many original scripts are written every year but are never made? So we seek out these scripts and bring them to life with full audio production and professional actors. Check us out at Undiscover Scripts. Movies made of paper. Wherever you get your podcasts. Free. Nestor, I feel like we could talk to you for another hour and a half. So much more to dig deeper into, but the fact that you gave up all your time for us, uh, thank you for coming on the show. It's really, really been a pleasure. Thank you, thank you. My pleasure, my pleasure, really. I've done a bunch of these. This was a good one. Oh, thanks. Good, thanks, good. All right, well, good luck to you guys. Thank you for your time, really. My pleasure, thank you guys. Take care. 
Oh, listen, I just wanted to say goodbye and remind you that the good guys always win, even in the 80s. All right, thanks so much for listening. We really appreciate it. Don't forget to subscribe and give us a four... Is it five-star rating? (laughs) Don't forget to subscribe and give us a five-star rating on iTunes. We really... Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a five-star rating on iTunes. If you listen to us on Spotify, that's great, too. And you can find us on the internet. (laughs) Don't forget to check out our website at $2LateFee.com and follow us on Instagram and Facebook at $2LateFeePodcast. We'll see you next time. We did it. You're listening to the Geekscape Network. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.